Welcome to Talk 30 to Me, a show where we talk about the perspective of 30-somethings on life. My kid is an asshole. Love. Did I tell you about the girl? twice in a week. And the never-ending pursuit of fulfillment. My name is Anthony, but most people just call me Turd. And I'm Randy Z. Let's start the show. So, we're joined here today by a very special guest, Natalie Torres Haddad. And uh, Natalie is, interestingly enough, an author, a speaker, and she is a proponent of being financially savvy, so much so she calls herself the financially savvy Latina. Natalie, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit more about uh, yourself and what you do and, and your background. Thanks for having me here. A little bit about myself. Uh, I actually got that name Financially Savvy Latina through uh, an urban countdown that they had for women in business. So they had hundreds of women in LA come out and pitch your business basically. And they only chose about a hundred to win. And I was part of that. And people kept saying, oh, you're Latina and oh, Financially Savvy, you should include that. And so it kind of <laughs> stuck. And I said, okay, sure, I'll own it and, and start using that uh, Financially Savvy Latina. But uh, yes, I'm definitely an advocate for financial literacy and everything that has come into play where I am now is because I think we'll talk about that obviously later on, but it's part of who I am and my journey that's got me here. So when it comes to financial literacy, I love talking about it. It makes people uncomfortable because it's an uncomfortable subject sometimes, most of the time. And I think it's a needed topic that needs to be um, advocated for more than anything. Yeah, well, people's finances are very private things. It's like, well, how are you going to tell me to manage my money? What do you know about my situation? Like, what makes you so special? So what makes you so special? Right. Um, and, you know, I, and I think that's what it is. Um, people automatically assume when I say financial literacy, they're like, oh, you're selling me insurance or you're selling me a wealth package or something. And not at all. If anything, financial literacy that I talk about is more of knowledge of the knowledge you need. So becoming more fluent in it, becoming more educated on those topics, because most people rather tell you their weight, let alone say, oh yeah, I'm going to tell you my FICO score. No, thank you. Mm -hmm. And it's, and it's that because most people are embarrassed of their finances. Um, in America, we see over 54% are illiterate and it's a topic that we're not taught as kids in college, let alone. And my degree, it, well, I have two degrees in business and one of those in finance and they didn't teach you financial literacy. So I know it's a topic we're not discussing and it should be. And we look at student loan debt. The um, Last year they came out with over 70% of college graduates are graduating and saying that they don't feel, they want, don't understand what financial literacy is. They don't know how to manage their money, let alone deal with student debt. So we're not being prepared as we're entering into the real world. Yeah. yeah. That's absolutely right. I remember asking a teacher in high school, like, how do we learn how to balance a checkbook? He's like, go ask your parents. <laughs> <laughs> and your parents laughed at you like, what? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's not the right approach because it's one of the things, it's like real world skill. How do you learn this? How do you figure it out? Where where does financial literacy click for, for someone? Sometimes it never does. Oh, yeah. You know, that's the sad part about American society. Uh, I don't think um, you mentioned that statistic. I don't th I, I think... Uh, that's low mm -hmm. for me um, hearing that because it seems like there are a lot of people who don't know how to manage their money. Oh, there's so much more. If you look at married couples or couples in general, it shows about 40% always stress about money, right? Mm -hmm. And then the national average shows that the debt that most people have in their home is about $30,000 and that's a natural average. Um, and it's more in Los Angeles and, you know, those big cities. Yeah, so. Yeah. Um, it's something that a lot of us don't get introduced to later on in life. I was definitely one of those. 
And and you just said it earlier. Well, if we're not introduced it as a kid, we probably won't be interested, unfortunately, later on in life and when it's unfortunately the wrong time. And that's part of my journey. I came up at it very difficult time. So, yeah. So was finance something you were always interested in or was it because of circumstance you had to become savvy uh, and, and and just learn it and navigate it? Uh, yeah, circumstances is first. Uh, I didn't come from money. I was actually born in El Salvador and my entire family fled to the States because of the Civil War back then in the 80s. So I grew up in Inglewood and mm. Lenox to be precise, which is a smaller part of mm-hmm. Inglewood, meaning it's an unincorporated part of Los Angeles. That means we don't get the same funds. So talk about poverty. It's yeah. there. And I was surrounded by it. And during the LA riots, all that, that you were affected by it as a kid, I saw, I'm like, why don't we know about money? Or obviously, why are we always struggling? Mm-hmm. And so that's partly why I wanted to study finance in college, thinking that it would help me. It partially did a little bit, but like I said, it didn't prepare me for the real world or how to manage um, my finances properly. So my circumstances changed after getting a lot of debt, um, getting into a lot of student debt and credit card debt, which back then, remember, it was, and now it's luckily it's against the law, but back then I remember people could stand outside of our classroom yep. and 10 offer feet away cards. from the, yeah, offer yeah. you credit cards. And I remember they would give us uh, free flip-flops or free mem- yeah. gym membership. And or so, a free water bottle. Oh, yeah. Wow, really? <laughs> You're like, thanks. And I can buy things after right. I get this water bottle with this plastic card that you gave me? <laughs> yes. Oh, and they're like, oh, and it's only 18% interest when you use it. That so sounds you're really like, Great. reasonable. You know, I must have, and I had great credit back then, actually, yeah, too. So, me too. And I'm like, wow, imagine those people that had horrible credit. Um, so I think that's something that automatically we were already targeted to have a bad financial future. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I did invest in, in real estate. Early on, I was 24 when I bought my first rental property. And during that time, this was when the market crash was about to really hit the fan. Mm-hmm. And I luckily I had some mentors that kind of guided me through that whole process um, because a lot of people did not and it didn't end well for them. So I learned a lot through that process, but it somehow still continued that I fell myself into either sometimes into debt or frustration of how much money am I going to ever make. And it came to a realization that I don't know what financial literacy is. Um, it is a whole nother language. I mean, if you're thinking about not just the algorithms, the theories, the, the acronyms that we have to learn, right? Yeah. Um, even most people, they're like, oh yeah, I know my FICO score. I'm like, okay, do you know what it means? And they're like, no. I'm like, okay, it's a fair Isaac corporation. Well, what does that really mean to you as an individual? Chances are, if you have good FICO score, what you can get a nice interest rate on your home, mm-hmm. maybe a student loan. Um, chances are you'll get that job, right? They don't really tell you that right away. Uh, so understanding all these little terms takes time. It takes years. And guess what? It also takes mistakes to learn from it. Some yep. of my biggest mistakes have taught me good good things now, financial, where I'm like, oh, I would have never learned that if I would have, I wouldn't at least gotten my feet wet and learned that first rental property. I learned a lot from the first place that I owned and lived in. I learned a lot from, and it made it easier. It's still not easy when you buy a new property or anything, but it makes it easier when you kind of understand the lingo and then you're hit with all new terms too. Just like a language, it's always evolving. So all of a sudden you're learning new stuff like subprime lending. What does that mean? Or, you know, the HELOC, what does all that stuff stand for? So um, it's an evolving language and it's part of our, our system. Our culture needs to incorporate that in our language. And in our culture, or at least my culture, it's a taboo to talk about money. Mm-hmm. Um, let alone if you're a woman, it's almost like, oh, why, why should you be talking about yeah. that? Yeah. So, so your, your background as far as education, uh, I know you have a bachelor's and a master's. Is it in, in finance or business? So my 
uh, bachelor's I got in finance and international business. And okay. then my master's I got in public administration. Because at that time, I had a nonprofit. I uh, started mm. a nonprofit. It was well into its third year. Yeah. So I wanted to make sure I structured it better and understood it a little better since financing comes different with that. Yeah. Okay. That puts us at, at how old when you finish your, your edu- formal education? How old was it formally? I was tw- uh, 29. Oh, really? Okay. So there was... There was a gap before I went to grad school. Okay. So what were you doing before you went to grad school? Um, I was working for a major real estate development firm. So um, we did mixed use properties and I did the property management side, the administrative side. And I did that for about six years. So I learned a lot about real estate and these are people that had um, major development. So I literally was thrown into that world um, because I had a finance background, Mm -hmm. but... um, I always was intrigued with obviously real estate and at least owning my own home. So is that is that kind of what got you into uh, buying earlier? Is working yes. in real estate? Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I tell this <laughs> story to people because they're like, "Why did you want to buy so early?" And I'm like, "Well, in my office, every, everybody was a guy, by the way. So I was the only female. I was the only person under the age of forty, and I was the only person of color in that company." And just talk about it was it was such an interesting time for me because I loved working with these guys because they were constantly teaching me something new, but they almost joked around. They're like, "Oh yeah, I, fought, I bought my first place at 22, and then all these rental properties, blah blah." blah. And they came from generations of people buying properties. Yeah. Mm. Uh, for me, I'm like, I'm already late in the game then. So for me, it was kind of a a process in that, and which allowed me to kind of have a little more confidence and at least throw myself in and try because they were like, "Oh, you're gonna learn from everything that you do." So. You might as well start as soon as possible. So walk us through some key learnings uh, along your journey. I mean, obviously, you, you said you were, you felt like you were late in the game. Leading up until that point, what had you learned after you bought your first property? What did you learn and, and what have you learned since? Um, so after the first property, buyer's remorse is so real, no matter whether it's a good deal. Um, and that's something I was taught first, never buy unless the numbers make sense. Mm. And so at least I felt confident that I wrote that the numbers, I'm like, okay, this works. But that buyer's remorse still set in, especially at that age in my twenties, none of my friends were buying. Um, and yep. at that time I actually bought a short sale. So I got it at a, no, excuse me, it was a foreclosure. So that one was a, a really good deal. However, I, it was not in the best neighborhood. I lived in Long Beach for eight years, loved that town, but I could have lived in like a cooler, th- trendier place where all my friends were living if I would have kept renting and, and and so forth. And so that was kind of a sacrifice I knew I had to make. It sucked at the time while I was there yeah. <laughs> because I was thinking about, hey, I've got to pay property taxes. So you you save some money twice a year so you could pay your property taxes on top, on top of your mortgage. What I learned from that too is um, always have a plan B that comes along with it, having a roommate. Um, to help cover costs, to unexpected costs. And luckily for me, that place was a, a townhouse. Um, so I always tell people, if you're going to get a first place, condos and townhouses are great because you don't have to worry about outside maintenance. Um, and chances are the price prices are going to be a lot lower. Yeah. And it's easier to find roommates. And at that time, everybody had a roommate, right? Um, and so it, it worked out in that place. Um, you also learn to be a landlord and hopefully a good landlord. And I think that's something that really you know, motivated me to always try to be great property owners because I grew up in places where slumlords are real. And you know what I mean? <laughs> and, I, and I tell people that because I'm like, I, I've seen horrible living conditions and I'm like, this is not right. And during my job at the property management, I, I had to learn all the requirements on zonings and what was allowed for tenants and a lot of rights and 
people don't know that they're being taken advantage of. So like carpet, you know, things that need to be replaced, all those things. I always wanted to make sure I was not only up to code, but treating them better. Like if I don't like living there, I don't expect somebody else to. And so that first property definitely um, taught me a lot in that. And so kind of those sacrifices that weren't as fun then, I look back and I thought, okay, well, you feel alone in that process. But luckily I had older mentors that were like, trust me, this will pass. The buyer's remorse after the year. They're like, once you get your first um, tax write-offs and your credit, uh, all your tax back back the next year, you're going to enjoy it. Um, And it really made the difference because I was renting for years and I thought, oh, wow, they were right. And then on top of that, you start looking at what is called now passive income. You know, once you move out of that place, you're renting this place and not only are you covering your costs, your insurance, your property taxes, but now you all of a sudden, I remember, I still remember the feeling of my first check that I got and I'm like, ooh, an extra $200 a month that I'm not working for. And that's, you know, money. And so, and that grew, you know, now I'm like, Hey, when you get a thousand dollar check in the month for something you didn't work for, technically it's just property that really makes a huge difference. Um, so that introduced me to really learning what passive income is too. So when you said making the numbers make sense on buying a house, what is, what does that mean? Is there like a certain algorithm or is it? Yeah, there's actually a a few, I, and if your listeners want it, there's a whole page on that. So, um, it's a few things that we look at equations, but let's say, for someone that's like, I want to buy and I have no idea what she's talking about. So most people go into buying a place saying, oh, you know, I'm going to buy in the best neighborhood, you know, decent house. Um, and ideally I'll keep it for at least five years or whoever, how long. And because here in LA specifically, right, pr- property prices are usually going up. So they automatically think oh, eventually there's going to be equity in the house because yeah. it's going to go up. That's not true. That's not always the case. Um, real estate has its cycles. So if you don't know what part of that cycle is, you can really be hurt like the 2008 crash. Yeah. Um, which brings me to a good movie recommendation, The Big Short. For those yeah, that Yeah, I love that movie. Yeah, yeah I, I recommend it all the time to my students. I go, if you have no idea what the 2008 crash, it repeats itself all the time. It's a cycle. It happens all the time. And so when you buy up or you're looking at a place, you say, okay, this is how much it costs. Hopefully it needs fix up so you can lower the price. Hopefully it already has equity. And I tell people, if you're going to buy a place, you don't want to buy it and say, oh yeah, I'll get a hundred percent finance because now all of a sudden you get stuck with paying PMI, which is the mortgage insurance on it. You have no equity built into that house, right? So some people say, oh, maybe 10%. You want to pay 20% down because then that'll help one, get rid of that insurance. Um, and you have some equity in that property. So um, if those numbers don't make sense, no matter how much you want it, you have to move past that. And one of my mentors was always consistent with me because I remember looking at that first place that I was looking at for two, almost two years. She would come and I'd come and give her the numbers. I'm like, hey, you know, I, I found this place. It's a possible possibility. And I was frustrated too after two years of looking. And that's something they don't tell you about being patient and, you know, really looking around. And she said, you're giving me the numbers and what do you, what do they say? And I'm like, doesn't make sense. And she's like, there you go. So I remember getting frustrated at her all the time, but I thank her for it too. Cause if not, I would have been stuck with a lot of my colleagues and friends that lost everything because the numbers obviously didn't make sense, but they bought anyway. So um, for someone that's kind of thinking about how it is, and it's a, it's, a, it's kind of a simple one page equation. You just start putting in those prices and then also unexpected things. What if, uh, oh, perfect example. One of them, uh, the townhouse, oh no, it was a condo. The roof 
fell before mm. I closed. <laughs> so that was fun. Um, the Jesus. ceiling came in and I'm like, uh, this was right before the, the closing. And I'm like, great, that's going to be a cost. Can I incorporate that? What can I do? Um, and obviously I had to negotiate with that as well. But you have to think about these additional costs that come along. And I talked about buyer's remorse. The first year, you know, especially I always tell people, if you buy young too, start as young as, as possible. But what happens is all of a sudden your friends think you have money because they're like, oh, you, you bought that place. And you're like, no, you don't understand. I've been saving since I was 16. Um, that's the reason why I wasn't buying all these fancy clothes or you only saw me maybe drink two drinks a night for a reason because <laughs> I thought, hey, those two extra drinks, I'm saving towards a place soon. And yeah. I tell people you have to make that sacrifice. Um, so, and I always talk about the uh, cafe latte factor, which I'm sure we could talk about later, but it's, it's finding those little things that allow you to buy a good property at a decent price that makes you comfortable. And if you do have to sell, you're not going to lose everything. Um, hopefully you'll make that profit and that's, and that's what the numbers need to make sense. You can't expect the, the market to always go up because that's not the case. Mm. Yeah. So that's, you, you've bought your first property at, you said 24, right? So... Now we're, you're 24, you bought your first property. At what point did you start pivoting from real estate or investing to actually trying to share your knowledge? Um, you know, uh, to be honest with you, I did not even share I bought my first place till years after um, because like I mentioned during that time, the crash was happening. So I, I was coming across a lot of people that I admire that had been in the game for a long time that were losing everything. Um, and none of my friends were buying at that time too. So I didn't really have someone to, to share that with. So I thought it's not even worth talking about because it wasn't a, a big gain or at the time it wasn't the time. So, however, I started coming across other people. Um, they're like, how'd you buy your condo at the time when I was living in that place? And I'm like, well, when I start looking at what I had learned along and I had mentors that had guided me through the process, I'm like, they need to learn what I've learned. And obviously these are people that have been in the game for decades. Um, so they've talked about cycles. They, you know, I, and I'd gone to tons of seminars. I didn't, I was that kid in conferences. Um, I had people come up to me every time I'd go to a seminar. And these are conferences you have to pay a lot of money to go. And um, I remember a couple, there were the first couple and then there was many people after, but there was a couple that was there. They had been investing for years. And she goes, I wish my kids were like you. And, you know, mm. I'm in my mid twenties and they're like, I wish my kids would, you know, invest in themselves to teach themselves this. And I thought, I thought I was in the wrong place because mm. I was the only kid there really, along with one of my partners um, and trying to learn, right? And so I thought, well, if this isn't available to people that one look like me or from neighborhoods like me, how do I expect them to be able to buy a place? How do I expect them to have a little bit cushion for a, a better financial future? So I actually, through my undergrad, my one of the deans reached out to me. She's like, would you come and teach some of the students on exit loans? Because I had student debt and I got out of it. And how, you know, what did I do in order to get out of it? So I started teaching those workshops. Um, and my friends would always start asking me questions about like, how'd you do this? Or, you know, is this something they taught you in school? Right. And I'm like, no, actually I had to invest more money in other education because they don't teach you this in college. And, and I'm a business major. So at the time it was I knew it wasn't accessible to most. Yeah. So I started doing that. Um, and then when, you know, it happens when someone hears you speak, they ask you for their company to come and speak at them or a nonprofit. And, and when I had my nonprofit, I incorporated that particular workshop, financial literacy, because mm -hmm. I wanted these high school girls to know 
you can do this, but you have to start literally now while you're in high school. Um, and no matter what your parents' circumstances or what your your neighborhood circumstances, it does not dictate what you'll be in the end. Um, but it's because you have to start educating yourself as soon as possible. After you started investing, after you started speaking, you wanted to put more in action. So you wrote a book. What is your book called and what inspired you to write it? My book is called Financially Savvy in 20 Minutes. What inspired me to do it was at that time while I was teaching those workshops, I would start printing out, you know, these little slides or PDFs or um, little handouts for them. And I was always asked the same questions. And I'm like, okay, I'm getting the same questions, so I need to have something that has all the answers to them. And the idea of actually writing a book came to me at happy hour with my girlfriends. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Perfect time, right? Uh, the five of us were at happy hour. But only two drinks in, right? Only right? Two only drinks. two drinks, exactly. Oh, yeah, happy hour. So, you know, drinks are cheap then, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and all of them were, we were talking about, you know, the struggles of, one was moving back up to San Francisco and like, how are you going to pay your, your rent and your college debt? and all that fun stuff that comes along with it. And I thought, you know what? I could do like a little tip sheets for them because I, I recommended all these amazing books like, you know, the Tony Robbins, the Su Susan Orman and all these, but they wouldn't read them, right? So I was like, I got to make something uh, just like a little tip sheet, right? Like a, what is it? The Cliff Notes back then? Yeah. yeah. And um, so I thought of that idea. And so it took me about a year to actually sit down and write through and, and it came out pretty thick. And my mom's like, no one's going to read that. It's too much. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, let me condense this. And I wanted to have it to a point where I wanted someone to say, and they said, oh, it's because we're millennials, whatever it is. But I said, I wanted it to be to a point where someone could sit down in 20 minutes and learn at least five things, important mm -hmm. things that can help them get through not just college or just dealing with debt or just dealing with your normal life. Right. And so it, I broke it down, which condensed it more. And my mom came up with the idea of like 20 minutes. And I'm like, okay, think of a cool word, right? So that's financially saving 20 minutes. And so I gave it to them as a gift that following, it took me about a year, yeah, following <laughs> year for Christmas. And it was like just a paperback. It wasn't like a full-on book. And then going through the process of finding editors and going through like, oh, mm -hmm. getting published, all that. Um, and the workshops, they loved it. And they're like, this is something we need to include in in part of the program. So that allowed me to make it into a book, which now all of a sudden, you know, it starts to create this, um, not only credibility, I no longer had to tell people my story. It was just like one page in the back. Mm -hmm. And it allowed me to create another passive income of something I only had to create once. And now every time I sell it, it duplicates on its own. Or it provides me even an opportunity to speak at another workshop because mm -hmm. someone says, oh, I read your book. Or, you know, someone was, you know, talking yeah. about your book. And so now it created a whole thing that I wouldn't have seen. In the, and my, one of my, actually one of my mentors back, way back in the day when I was in college said, you should write a book, just write some book. And I go, why? It's like, it's the best resume out there. And back then, um, this guy's an old guy. He was in his 80s. He said, uh, CVs were very important, mm -hmm. right? Cover letters and resumes. But he's like, if you can write a book, a pamphlet or something that describes your experience, your knowledge, um, it's easy for you always to have a job and I, or have some kind of way of being hired. And so I saw that as an opportunity too. So at the time when I wrote it, I didn't think it was going to be a book. And then it became a book and then it got nominated for, um, it's the uh, International Awards of Latino Awards. And um, I was like, cool, you get nominated in the <laughs> economics category. Awesome. You know, yeah. someone's reading my book. I didn't yeah. even know. Right. And uh, so the fact that when you get nominated, it helps. But the fact that you win something too, now all of a sudden that adds more credibility, which is awesome. So 
the book came about, I say by accident, but obviously things came into play when I look back and I'm like, oh, if I was kind of preparing it already, which allowed me to do the next book, which is how to buy a property at a young age. And so, because you know, like I said, it was a thick book, you have to learn to condense it. And that mm. one I did it uh, co- co-written with other people because I wanted different perspective. So, yeah. Now, now the interesting thing is your book came out, uh, you said six years ago? Yeah. And, and how old are you when the book came out? I was 30, 2000, yeah. 30. 30. So uh, how much work were you doing or how much how much of the book was, was done before you turned 30? Oh, um, so once the book was done, I think it took about another year and a half, maybe two to get published. Oh, wow. Um, and that's other stories as well that comes with it. But I think a lot of authors tell me the same thing. They're like, because it becomes like your baby. You yeah, know, you, you took yeah. time to write it. You you know, you go through different drafts. And how many times was I told, hey, you, you can't write? I'm like, well, yeah, English is my second language. I don't expect to be the best. I, mean, I wasn't an English um, major either. However, I'm like, I just wanted to make sense to someone that doesn't understand math or is kind of nervous about tackling some of these uh, issues and so I got different editors on the English part and then I got different editors that are on the money part because mm. I have like little samples of ex- not Excel but breakdowns of you know pricing and how interest rate works how compounding interest works so I just wanted to talk about something that has helped me and I wasn't trying to say hey look at me I'm great it was just this is what helped me and I'm hoping if somebody else was feeling in that same situation um, wouldn't feel hopeless and so and that's part of why I got offered a TED talk so nice. I to talk about that yeah yeah. A lot of it is just contributing and putting that energy out there and being authentic about it. I think what you mentioned that, and that's very unique mm-hmm. and that's inspiring because uh, not a lot, not a whole lot of people are doing things selflessly. You know, it's always with an ulterior motive. With you know, I want to do this because I want to make a lot of money. No, you did it because you wanted to genuinely help people, and that has perpetually paid dividends. Yeah, back to you in, in ways that you never even imagined. So that's that's cool. That's thank all, you. I appreciate that. Yeah. You know, I think it's because I grew up in, in, like I said, in my community. I love my communities that I live in, and when you see people struggling, I mean struggling, you. And I notice a lot of people don't grow up around that. I feel like, well, if I don't help my own, how am I supposed to expect other people help me? And so, I think it's. It, you paying it forward comes back to you, like you just said, not Absolutely, knowing how, yeah. but it does. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, it's needed. Thank you. Yeah. And that's, that's interesting perspective too, because not a lot of people know that. And, and for me growing up, it was much the same thing in college. Um, I, I went to UCR and that's where Randy and I met and we talk about this often, but not, a, not a lot of people outside of my inner circle or, or people that actually, uh, lived with me back in the day knew that you know um I bought my own house at nineteen, and oh, that was the first time that you know i ever I ever did that obviously, I had a little bit of help i, I didn't do it by myself. my dad really uh, stuck it out, but we bought at the high point mm. and that was right before the economy crashed, and we paid a lot mm. of money for the house and still have it oh well, good for you at least yeah. But that's a whole learning process, right? Because you is. got it in that cycle. Yeah, yep. we got it in at the high point of the cycle, and then we had to write it out. But luckily, we were never short renters because Good. we were right by UCR. We had that property right there and maintained it, and, and people lived there. I lived there, and like you awesome. said, yeah. you made that extra little bit of money. But you know, we were we were underwater on it for so long, and now recently the market's kind of coming back. Come, yeah, came back, and and right now we're we're seeing positive returns on it but that didn't stop me from pursuing even more you know in that line and then my wife and I bought this house right 
before the market started coming back up. And so we got a really good key. deal on this house. And that was complete chance. And you know, you know? And, and not everyone has that chance. Like you the fact that you still kept your property was a big deal. Yeah. I, I, I came across a lot of people that was complete opposite. Um and you know, when you said you bought it at nineteen and you were living in it, one that was smart. But I was exposed to that in college as far as I was in a sorority and mm. I learned this from some of my sorority sisters. It was such a learning experience and I loved it because one of them was like, oh yeah, we bought the house. You know, we lived in, and it was a nice area, the Belmont short area, oh, right, yeah. right yeah, across ocean. Yeah, yeah. We had, that's where our house was. And one of them, um, her parents bought the house. She basically was a property manager and four of the girls rented out the other rooms. And was brilliant because they kept it for years. And then eventually Long Beach was blowing up. And so they they sold it and made a really nice profit. And I think they wanted, they kept one of them. But um, that's something I told my parents. I'm like, why didn't we think about that yeah. <laughs> back in college? Yeah, but obviously yeah. my parents didn't know. Um, and, and for me, I'm a first generation college student. So all of a sudden you're exposed to different lifestyles. Right. And um, these are things that people start teaching their kids right away. Like, hey, you're going to buy a property by college? That was smart at UCI. I mean, UCI, excuse me. And so having that opportunity... Um, now we can teach our kids to do the same. And it's like, hey, why not? Why pay rent for someone when, exactly. you can, when you can do that if you have that option? So. Yeah, that end, when my wife and I came to buy this house, I had learned so much into what to look for, mm -hmm. what to watch out for, you know, like uh, plumbing issues, electrical, oh, yeah. uh, cooling, HVAC and all that. And space, how it's laid out, what you're going to do with it. Like when we bought this house, old 1950s uh, tract home, and it was a very cookie cutter layout. And I was like, you know what? Tear everything down, mm -hmm. and Randy was here. Randy helped. Um, awesome. I painted the ceiling. He painted ah. the ceiling. That's why it's that's <laughs> why it's so cool. fucked up. No, actually, <laughs> it, looks, it looks really good. Um, and uh, good friend. <laughs> yeah. So when we we bought it, tore everything out. It's like we. I had a vision, and I I wasn't. I couldn't have been afforded that had I not <laughs> had that insight into owning another home and and un learning the hardships. That came with that. Yeah. And people don't understand that. And now you know? there's all these shows that glorify getting an ugly house. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So back then you weren't seeing that. it's completely fucking up the market. Sorry. It, it, no, that's true. It's true. <laughs> it, hello. It, it, and that's a good subject to talk about too. Um, and, I, and yeah, I remember back in college, it was uh, there wasn't all these cool HGVTs from like, right, the fixer up or all the fun stuff that we love watching now. Yeah. But people weren't looking at vision. They're like, oh, no, I'm not going to buy in that neighborhood because no way. Right. And I remember the first property I took my parents to. Um, I was, I'm always been that type that I don't tell my parents I'm doing something until I've already signed some papers because I feel they'll, they'll, they'll say, no, you shouldn't do that. And yeah. obviously they mean well, cause they want me not to get hurt along the way, but also it's the unknown that they don't mm -hmm. know. Right. So when I actually brought them to particularly that, uh, condo in Long Beach, um, not the best area. And they looked at me like, uh, why don't you just move back home? Or, you know, this is kind of sketchy area. And I, I looked at them like, do you guys remember where we lived? That was sketchy. And yeah. so, um, I was about to point that out. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'm like, that was, that felt sketchy. And it was sketchy. And I go, but you know what? This is an investment for the future. Trust me. And my dad looked at me and I remember he said, he goes, let me guess. You already signed papers, didn't you? I go, yes. I'm like, I'm just showing you, I want you to tell me how much you think it'll cost to fix. And he was very handy in that sense. Um, but I'm like, I wasn't really here to bring you guys for <laughs> advice on yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. process. I said, I'm just here to show you what I want your advice now. Um, 
but it's because now you see that vision. Um, my ha- my husband and I, when we bought our first place together, was a totally different experience too. When buying by yourself, it, hey, you have yourself to blame, your responsibility, whether your FICO is good or is good or your money. Um, but what you're doing with the partner is it's a learning process, right? And um, even the first place, this place, excuse me, we have, um, it was a total fixer up. It's still a fixer up, technically, um, especially on their old homes in LA, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it was just funny bringing him in and he's like, what? Are we looking at? And I go, trust me, I see this. We can change this. I have a vision. Yeah. And I go, this only costs this much. And, you know, this is not really going to cost us this much. Or I know someone or my dad does this, you know, that kind of fun stuff that comes along with it. Yeah. So he felt more confident in him. Um, and I I, I love the fact that he was like, all right, you, you kind of know what you're doing. And so that really, that helps along the way. Like I said, it becomes easier. It's still hard and it's still stressful oh, the yeah. whole process. Yeah. Um, especially when you don't know when the cycles, and that's one thing too, or the cycle was about to change. And, and I told them, this is a time, if not, we're going to pay double the price in less, in the next two years. So we took the plunge and, and that's something that makes a big difference. When did you make that purchase? Uh, this one, a little over three years ago. Okay. Yeah. And around Christmas time. Mm. So that's another tip that I've learned. You want to buy around Christmas time when nobody wants to sell or buy because people want a vacation. Yeah, it's perfect. And the truth is, uh, the house had just been listed a couple of weeks before Christmas. So let me, let, let, let's, you know, one thing, um, there has to be a reason why they want to sell. Most people don't put up their homes for sale in like till the summer. right? Right. Um, and it also, I found out they're, uh, um, they were going through a divorce and guess what? That means chances are you can't pay your property taxes and all these things that come along. So they're willing to sell quick. And mm-hmm. obviously that wasn't disclosed to us then. And I found out halfway through the process and I'm like, there you go. So that's something you learn in the online process. And same thing with rental properties. I'm like, I'm looking around Christmas time. That's the best time. Cause even brokers, nobody wants to work. They want to be on vacation. Yeah. And they're like, fine, let's just get this done. You know, sell it done. Yeah. And so chances are you get a better deal. That's that's a good free tip for for yeah, our absolutely. listeners. Yeah, absolutely. And all the brokers and yeah, they're like, okay, that's what you <laughs> can refer to people too. Yeah, ready sure. taking notes. Yeah, I mean, copious <laughs> he's, notes. Yeah, he's, he's been cool. in the on the on market the for that's a long good. time. And I've been I've been in the thing two years. I just I did my thirty third offer. It actually got accepted, and then they changed their mind. Seller backed out. You know, look at that as a blessing in disguise. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that I you said them. two years is not bad actually, and so. That's something I wish, you know, people need to be honest when people are like, I'm going to buy a place. It's like, all right, take your time. It's going to be frustrating. And yeah, how many offers that we got rejected because someone would come in and cash. and pay cash and yeah. more than asking price. And I'm yeah. like, oh, no, I'm not going to pay that much. Um, and so that's good. You're, you're patient enough that you're like, all right, two years if people are realistic. And you know what? You're actually going into a better play. You're going to have a little bit more of a buying power. The cycle's changing already. So... That's something that that look at it as a blessing in disguise. You could probably would have got stuck with a, a pretty high, t- um, t- like he just said. When did you guys buy in, when you were 19 and what year? Uh, 2005. Oh, yeah. So I know the, the no, no, no. Yeah. And that, that's a high point. And I appreciate you saying that because when you look at, obviously people can't see what we're doing right now, but. You look at a mountain, right? So if you look at particular picture years, mountain if you're listening, yeah, picture, a picture mountain. mountain. So he said 2005. So he's you weren't even at the peak yet. So no, you were. So we're luckily the, for you, yeah, you guys weren't close. at the peak. If you yeah. guys were at the peak around 2007, you'd have lost everything. Yeah. And so the fact that he was right about to turn, you guys got in at a decent time. But for those that got in 2007, the property that I, the first one in Long Beach, was around that 2007. Let me just put it this way: people that don't understand what we're saying. That condo, I paid seventy nine, no, seventy nine thousand, 
Everyone was like, what is it, a shoebox? <laughs> <laughs> and the prop, the in that same building, um, I knew some of the property owners or above above us, and they paid over three hundred and twenty thousand oh, a year prior. Wow! So that makes a big difference yeah. on when you come into dip. Yeah. And so understanding that's why I say the cycle is changing. Yeah. You want to understand where you are, yeah. and we're kind of going through something like that right now, right? Absolutely. I feel like property values, like my house, we we've gained a lot of equity on mm-hmm. um, because we got a really good. I feel deal. like we got a really good deal. Plus, we put a lot of money into it. And like you said, yep. we did a lot of the work ourselves. So yep. we saved a lot of the money. And I thank my wife for that because she's very financially responsible and I'm not. And I was like, you know what? I don't feel like doing the work. Let someone else do it. But I was coming home, like, mm, coming to the house me. every day. Yeah, <laughs> You should be in my house. My husband's doing yeah. everything in the yard. Yep. <laughs> I was coming to the house every day after work, mm-hmm. burning myself out for about six, seven hours after work, yep. tearing down walls, carpet, um, Finishing things, painting. Wow. And, and it was incredibly difficult. And that, those are the kinds of things that you need to do in order to reap the benefits of gaining enough equity in your home. I'm mm-hmm. sure you can attest to that. And not only that, but uh, my wife is telling me this all the time. I was like, I want a turnkey home right now. I want something I can move into. I don't want... Because you don't want don't the want headache. Invest- <laughs> yeah. yeah. But... But, yep you're capped out at what you can make back on it because you can't really do anything to add value. You just have to wait for appreciation. And that's what I think some of these shows that are on TV do such a disservice to new buyers because they're like, oh, I don't like the flooring, you know? So they'll pay an extra 50 grand for another Mm, house just mm. because the flooring's better. I'm like, okay, that flooring could have cost you less than 10 grand to to change if you would have bought that place, right? And the person that's coming in to buy the house maybe after you move out might not even like the flooring. Exactly. They're not willing to pay what you invested in it. Right, so it's kind of that... That's a delayed gratification. And yeah. and I remember, luckily, one of my dad's best friends, uh, he was 70 at the time, and he goes, and that he's the one that said, hey, your friends must think you have money, huh? Because you just bought a place. And and, and I, go, I go, I don't know. I think so, kind of, because they're like, where did you get this money from? And I was like, I said, I've been saving for a long time. But he goes... He goes, take your time. He's like, don't feel pressured to fix up the place or that kind of, you know, because would go into, I would go to my friend's places who had beautiful, you know, rental, whatever they were renting at. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, even just like the countertop makes a difference or the window, all these oh, beautiful yeah. details. And oh, I'm yeah. like, oh, I want that because my place was like crappy. <laughs> um, and it was that taking my time fixing it up and laying down the floor, all that stuff. Um, but I like that he said that, just take your time because you are feeling broke because technically you are. You just paid a huge deposit and you paid all these things. Um, he's like, don't feel you have to compare and you might have to live a little bit more frugal the next couple of years because just getting your head wrapped around, not just the mortgage, but the fix-ups, uh, mm-hmm. all that. Um, I was at the time with my husband, he's my husband now, but we're boyfriend and girlfriend, learning how to like say, hey, sorry, we can't um, spend this much on this because I'm putting in a new floor or I'm doing this. Yeah. So, yeah, it's hard you know, to make people yeah, understand. You, yeah, so you yeah. kind of learn to to discipline yourself in that. So, um, yeah, it, it comes with hopefully having the frug- the frugal mind, you know, the savviness that comes with it. So just taking time with it. So if people want to learn more about what you have to offer and you as a person in the things that you're doing right now and in the future, where can they find you? So all my social media handles are Financial Savvy Latina. Uh, except for my Facebook, it's Natalie Torres Haddad, the long <laughs> name, right? <laughs> and um, and the website is Financially Savvy in 20 Minutes. So yeah, I'm always open to questions and I'm always sending out 
recommendations of books for people to read, um, especially the cycles that are coming up. Um, I'm not trying to plug books because they're not paying me, but there's a good book that I read a couple years ago and it's, um, I think it's by Dent and it says it's the uh, greatest sale of a lifetime. I'm talking about the 2017. Don't worry, Randy, I'll email you the, the list. <laughs> already it's already notes. It's like, which one is it? Uh, the greatest one, it's the, the crash of 2017 to, 20, uh, to 2022. So, um, and it, it's a brilliant book. And there's so many books out there like that, that these are people that have studied, I'm talking about decades of the cycle within the U.S. market. And L.A. is so different than any other. Yeah. New York is very similar too. But, um, you know, I invest in the Midwest and that's very different than L.A. because their market is not as, as mountainy as ours. It's a little bit slow, way slower, but you know, a little more consistent. So mm. there's tons of stuff and I'd be happy to recommend books. And I'm always giving out free information because it's so needed. And the more people, the younger that we start, we help not only ourselves, but literally our families too. That's That was my biggest thing. I'm like, I don't want my parents to ever wonder that I, where I'm going to live or where we okay. And if they need a place to live, guess what? We'll have a place. So um, yeah, thanks for all this. <laughs> Yeah, and if you're listening out there, we want to hear from you. Have you made a big purchase in your life that you experienced buyer's remorse with? Or did you make a big purchase that really ended up panning out for you and you want to share that with us? Tell us about your story. If you want any advice from Natalie, definitely reach out to her. She gave us her info. We're going to put that in the show notes. Let us know if you've had any financial impactful stories to share um, we definitely want to hear those. Randy, where can the people find you? You can find me anywhere and everywhere at I am Randy C. And Turg? And you can find me at Turg Says No on Instagram and Twitter. And you can find Sankey's at Chi Chi Says Yes. <laughs> Chi Chi's always say yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for subscribing to another episode of Talk 30 to Me. We hope you enjoy it and continue to share it with friends. Make sure to stop by our website at talk30tome.com for more content and information about the podcast. Rate us on Apple Podcasts. And if you really like what you hear, make sure to leave us an awesome five-star review. For Talk 30 to Me, I'm Turg. And I'm Randy Z. Peace. <laughs>
a fucking diva. Stop it. You are more high maintenance than my wife. Get over yourself. <laughs> Were you recording? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love doing that. I'll take it. And if you want Sankeys to speak, hit that donate button.